Hey, it's Seeking Plum. Today, students march for their lives, as well as allies from around the world and in our own nation. Yes, yet again, I am touching on the topic of guns, and believe it or not, I've got more thoughts, but probably more accurately, more questions. How many more accommodations are we going to make for advocates of the Second Amendment? students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, as well as other schools in parts of the country, are now required to carry transparent backpacks, giving up yet more privacy. What's next? The Blue Mountain School District in Pennsylvania has placed five-gallon buckets in each classroom full of rocks, so as a last line of defense, the students can stone their shooter. Metal detectors, security cameras, security guards are becoming more and more common in more and more schools. Is this really what safety looks like? Statistically speaking, how many, quote, good guys with a gun have stopped a shooter or a terrorist? In that split second, how do the cops identify a good guy from a bad guy if they're both waving a gun? Or not even waving it, just holding it? How many good guys are trained to address such a situation? To identify the targets they should shoot at versus the ones they most definitely should not shoot at? To be able to think and move under pressure? Even security guards don't seem to be able to do this a lot of the time. And that is their job. Okay, well what about the argument that if I have a gun and the shooter knows this, that they're less likely to take aim at me or those I care about? Something like mutual assured destruction? I don't think that particularly applies here. As individuals, we do have a lot to lose. We have a lot to risk. But it's not like two countries who are at each other with nuclear war warheads. As individuals, we're more likely to get emotional, whether hot-headed or aggressive, distraught. And when the shooter feels like they have nothing left to lose, what's to stop them? If we bring more guns into the picture, it only escalates things. If I start with a revolver, but I learn that you have a semi-automatic, well then I don't feel safe enough. I need something bigger and better than you have. Well then I need to get an automatic. Then you learn that I have an automatic, and you need something bigger and better than that. And on and on. There will always be, to an extent, a current ceiling, but as technology advances, that ceiling will continue to move. So the weapons will continue to get bigger and more powerful. But when do we determine that a gun stops being a gun and becomes something different? When do we draw the line and say, no, you cannot continue to push this definition of what a gun is, what a gun can do? I usually hear two arguments about why someone would want to have a gun, and I don't understand either one of them. And the first has to do with self-defense, or protection of one's family, or their belongings, or even protection of themselves. So let's look at that. If it's about protecting your belongings, then it's about changing how you build your house, how you build your home what you do specifically there. So what, we could do bulletproof windows if it's about protecting from guns. You could do security measures. We can invent new ideas, come up with new innovations. If it's about protecting your family or yourself, then this one I still don't understand. Because for every gun owner, how many times in their lives have they ever, 
ever faced a situation where a gun would have been appropriate to protect either their family or themselves. Throughout our lives, we experience so many other situations and so many other threats that could end our lives, that could damage us in some way, could break our bones, could cause us to bleed out, you know, that could do these things to us that a gun can have no effect on. That really, most any other method we might take cannot protect against. So again, I ask, why the gun? Which leads me into the second argument I usually hear, which is about protecting one's rights against the government, which was leading back to the original reason why the Second Amendment was put in place. We don't want the government encroaching on our rights, so we must have guns to protect ourselves. Okay, let's think about this. A hundred, even two hundred years ago, this made sense. But today, this does not. The government has tanks, civilians do not. The government has bombers, civilians do not. They have helicopters, some civilians have those. They have drones, and civilians have smaller drones. The point is, if we listed out the weapons that the government has access to, those that we know about and those that we don't, they would be far ahead if we listed them out compared to what civilians have. So to say that a gun is going to protect us against a tank or any of those other weapons is kind of like saying you're going to use a slingshot to protect yourself. It's ridiculous. So to put it into perspective, a slingshot versus a tank, let's say, and a slingshot for a scenario that may never ever arise in your life or one that you are not even equipped physically or mentally to respond to or one that you cannot respond to because the police cannot identify you from the bad guy. So should that once in a lifetime situation arise, it may be moot point. In the meantime, our children must go to school losing their privacy. They must have security cameras and metal detectors and new fences. Teachers who are supposed to educate our students and nurture them and foster them as they continue to grow and become adults are now expected or asked, asked to learn how to shoot a gun and not only care for these students, but be prepared to shoot them dead. Just think about that. Shoot them dead after they've, they've taught them and cared about them. Now you're asking them to be prepared to shoot them. Could you do that? After all, they say a headshot or a core shot is an easier one to make than something that is merely uh, a leg, arm, or something that could slow them down. Most teachers do not go into the role with a state of detachment. They go in into the job because they care. They care about other people's children. They care about the future. That we're asking students to go to schools in these types of scenarios, that we're asking these things of teachers, that we're even asking re regular people when they go out into the world to to not be worried when they meet somebody or a stranger on the road 
who's having road rage or someone in the parking lot or in the store or anywhere they might go and hope, hope to God that they don't say something or make a face that might make that person angry because these days it doesn't take much and that person can pull out a gun on a whim. There used to be a time when I would not have hesitated to step in if I saw someone was being bullied or attacked or anything of that kind. But now, my first response instead is to reach for the phone and call 911. But do you know what that means? That means that someone else there is suffering instead in that time it takes for the police to arrive. How many, when you hear raised voices, turn away? When you see someone getting upset with you, decide to back off in every way possible. I've heard women say this, I've heard men say this. So again, I'll ask, how many accommodations will we make for those who are advocates of the Second Amendment? And who are really the terrorists in this scenario? Thank you for listening. In today's episode, you heard music from Vortex entitled We Are Saved from the Free Music Archive. It's available under a Creative Commons license. The details can be found in the episode description. Looking to share your thoughts? Want to interact? You can find Seeking Plum on Instagram, Twitter, Medium.com, or give me a call on Anchor.fm, and maybe, just maybe, you'll be featured on a future episode. Thanks again for listening.